Lord, we come to you this morning as people seeking to know you, to connect with you, or maybe God even just asks the question that brings us closer to your people. So God, be with us as we go into this message. Let us as a gathered people be aware of your presence with us this morning. <clears throat> be aware of your spirit who is pressing us, urging us forward with you, God. And God, I ask that you guide my words, guard my tongue, and let the meditations of my heart and these words that I speak, that they be of you and for you and for your people. In your son's name I pray, amen. <clears throat> you can tell that things are blooming, right? <clears throat> I've been, uh, I, I led the early service this morning and I didn't have one voice crackle and then all of a sudden it's like something's a bloom in here. So I don't know if you noticed uh, when you came in, if you got coffee or donuts, um, but there was a little bit of like a, a singed background to your um, donate, donut and coffee experience this morning. We had a, a small-ish fire in the church on Friday. Um, where um, Peggy, she's our campus care person. She's the one that takes care of our campus. And I'm not sure why, I haven't gotten to that part yet, but she was, she was melting some candle wax in a pan. And for whatever reason, because wax is not flammable, but for whatever reason, the wax like caught fire. And there was, um, she, she said that there were flames like higher than her. Uh, and so I, I was on Old Hammond Highway when I got the call. When she first called me, I rejected it because I was on the phone with my husband. He's been out of town for a couple weeks. So I was like, oh, I'll just call her right back. And then she called me right back, and I was like, oh, no, something's wrong. And yes, the, the church was literally on fire. Um, and so when I got here, there were four fire trucks, an EMT, the sheriff's office, and the central police. When I tell you first responders know how to show up, they showed up. And they got in here, and they got the fire out. Our preschool did an amazing job. Um, you know, the the buildings aren't connected by in, inward doors, but they're connected by a, a breezeway. And so they went ahead and got the kids out just in case. I mean, it was an it was it was a proactive response. They, they weren't really in any immediate threat because it was all contained here. But just in case it spread quickly, they got the kids out to our backfield very quickly. Our teachers and, and um, the staff, the administrative staff over there, Terry Little and Amy Cullen, they did an amazing job getting the kids out safely but you know like little kids it, it kind of freaked them out so some of them went home early but thankfully nobody was hurt we just have some cosmetic damage that we're going to have to repair some uh like the covers of the fluorescent lights melted off and the the oven itself the fire was hot enough that the oven itself that i'm assuming is stainless steel one of the legs like melted i mean it is it is flattened and melted together. It was crazy looking. Um, but other than that, it's gonna be some tile replacement, smoke damage. So for those that were working in the kitchen, I told them make sure you don't wear white because there is soot on everything. Um, but hopefully when you came in, it did not smell like singed metal. And so, um, you know, my favorite joke, which I wish Jacob was back there on the drums right now for this, because my favorite joke has been we had to cancel Ash Wednesday, so we really had to bring the fire in here. Yes, thank you, thank you. 
So today we're going to be talking about, um, I mean, we're actually going to talk a little bit about ashes later on, but uh, we're going to be talking about vines and we're going to be talking about branches. Uh, we've been in this series where, um, who is this man? Who did Jesus say that he was? And who did people say that Jesus was? And so in this passage for today, um, we're talking about Jesus making the claim, I am the vine. So I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, um, so if you've ever wondered what's a little weird about me, it's that. Um, even though I've lived in the South, um, in South Louisiana specifically, for all of my adult life for the most part, um, I, I, and the majority of my life, I've gotten to an age where you know the, your adult life has now lasted longer than your adolescent years. Um, People still, regardless of that, when they meet me, they know that there's something a little off. You're not from around these parts, are you? <laughs> so I grew up there, and I grew up in a valley in, in a city called Newburgh, Oregon. So I grew up um, surrounded by the Shehalem Mountains. Um, it's a beautiful area, the greenest green you can see, uh, so surrounded by fir trees and orchards of hazelnuts and cherries and apples, like anything that, that you can picture, it, it was there, and it smelled like that in the summer. Like, you knew summer had gotten there because outside smells like blackberries. Like, you step outside and you can inhale and smell the blackberries. Um, it, it's a beautiful area, and, and if you're wondering if I recognized then that it was that beautiful? The answer is no. I had no idea that I grew up somewhere that beautiful until years later when I went back. I was probably in my mid-20s, and my husband and I did some wine tasting um, around the area, and I'm looking at these rolling vineyards and, like, mountains around me, and I'm like, wait a minute. This is where I grew up? Like, because this, this is not the story I've been telling myself. <laughs> like, this is beautiful. This is where I come from, and it is. It's gorgeous, and one of the things um, over the last two decades that's really boomed over there, like they always had vineyards, but, but over the last two decades, their vineyards have really boomed, like the wine market has really expanded, uh, and one of the things that they are known for growing up there and growing well, and if you're a wine person, you know this. If, if you aren't a wine person, I'm about to share some things with you. Um, they grow the Pinot Noir grapes, which is a notoriously finicky grape. It is really complicated to grow. It's also one of the oldest grapes that we, like grape varieties that we have. It's what um, grandfathered the Sauvignon Blanc. It's where Chardonnay grapes come from. They can, they can trace the Pinot Noir grape to before the Middle Ages. So it's like one of the oldest foundational grapes that we have history of. But it does take special care. It is a challenging grape to grow. It can't get too hot or the skin will shriver, shrivel and burn. And it can't get too wet because the tight cluster of grapes on it will mildew or rot. And you won't even know that that's happened until they, they pull them apart because the rot happens from the inside. Like the outside grapes look like they're just fine, but the inside has trapped moisture because they're so tightly uh, grown together. It's also one of those that like early in the spring it starts to bud. So 
it's susceptible to uh, late freeze and morning frost because, you know, it doesn't really stay warm in Oregon or at least even any region that grows Pinot Noir grapes. It doesn't really get, like, warm and stay warm until, like, July. Although with climate change, it's now June, but I digress. It's a hard grape to grow, and it makes it cost-wise a risk for gardeners to grow these vineyards of Pinot Noir grapes. But what you get when you harvest this grape and you turn it into wine is quite amazing because it is such a transparent grape that you can tell where it is grown just by how it tastes. Now, if you're new to drinking Pinot Noir, you can't do that. <laughs> it takes an experienced palate um, and, and, a, and a very um, non-allergenic nose to sniff out the distinctions in Pinot Noir. But for people who know these things and, and study these things, they can taste it and they know whether it, it is from the Chehalem Valley where I grew up or from the Russian River Valley in California or from Burgundy, France. They can tell where it comes from based on how it tastes. It reflects so clearly the soil that it grew in, the environment that it was grown in, that for those who pay attention to such things, they can easily tell the difference. Where a wine comes from makes a difference. How it is grown and what its soil is makes a difference. So while Jesus and the pastors we're talking about today, while he was not talking about Pinot Noir grapes because they do not grow in the Syria area, <laughs> what he was talking about is how fruit is produced. So I'm going to be in John... So for those who weren't here last year, now that it's time for air conditioning season, that is the sound of our air conditioner kicking on. It is a lovely and yet disturbing sound that I get the privilege of seeing your face when it kicks on because everyone kind of goes like this. Um, and yes, we've looked into having it replaced, but that is a very high ticket price because of how they built the structure. So for now, that's on the bottom list of things that we need to do. Um, so just so you know, that is our air conditioning. Nice to meet you. Welcome. All right, so we're in chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my word remains in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. 
This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So as Jesus often did, he used the environment around him to teach the people about God and about our role in God's kingdom. So in today's passage, Jesus makes the branches of the vine the focal point of this teaching. He wanted the hearers to know that it is not the branch that makes the fruit. The branch simply bears the fruit of the vine. Do we understand the difference? That the branch does not itself produce the fruit. The clusters of grapes are just an expression of the vine. So one of the things that I noticed when um, I stepped into pastoral ministry, which I guess I've been doing two and a half years or so now, um, is that when I see, when I introduce myself to somebody and they get to that inevitable question, what do you do? And I say, I'm a pastor. They immediately feel the need to explain why they don't go to church. Or if I see somebody that I know goes to church and they haven't been in a long time, they inevitably have to explain to me why they haven't been in church. And, and you know, it's not that I want to say, like, I, I don't care, because I, I do care, but, like, at the same time, I don't want that to be the feeling that people have when, they, when they're around me, that they feel like they have to, like, explain themselves. I'm like, it's cool, man. I get it. It's fine. So while I was talking to this guy this week, um, I, had, I had a conversation with him, and he starts explaining to me, like, why he hasn't been in church. And rarely do you find the person that's like, I haven't been in church because I'm ashamed. Or, like, rarely do you meet the person that's like, this, it's on me. Like, I'm having a struggle here. Sometimes you do. But for the most part, it ends up being about the church, like what the church did wrong, what they don't like about so-and-so at church, or like they got mad at the pastor, or, um, you know, it rarely is ever, I just don't feel like it. Like, I like being in my pajamas on Sundays. Like, it's, it's never that. It's always like something. So what he said to me this week was, um, and then the preacher just says the same thing. Week after week, they talk about the same thing, and it just gets old, you know? I was like... Yeah, like I, I, I found that statement pretty interesting. Like, on the one hand, I get it because we do talk about pretty much the same thing every single week. It might have a different focal point. Like we might be pointing you in a certain direction. But for the most part, what we talk about in this place is God, what Jesus did for us, and who we are called to be as Jesus people. That's what we talk about here. Week in and week out, we are trying to point our lives toward knowing who God is, trying to understand, accept, and receive what Jesus did for us, and submitting our lives to God's purposes. That's what we're here to do. And I guess, I guess that can get old. I will say that I have not mastered any of those th things yet, so I'm going to keep showing up and just hope that one day I'll get it. So on the one hand, I get what he was saying. We as the people of God are a redundant people. I'm sure we are exhausting. 
that thankfully for us, our God is a redundant God. Can I get an amen to that? So on the other hand, when I heard this guy saying this, um, what occurred to me, because I had read this scripture this week, and so I'm, I'm thinking while he's talking, and, and I realized that this guy thinks that he's the end product. And maybe not just him specifically. Maybe he doesn't think, like, I'm the end product. Maybe he thinks people, in general, are the end product. Like, when we talk about vines and branches and fruit, I think what he thinks is that he's the fruit. That Jesus came and Jesus died and rose and ascended, and he's the fruit of that. And why on earth would you go to church or try to be a part of a faith community if you already feel like you're the end goal? Now, let me just say that I have studied churches in every denomination at nauseum. Like, I have studied the church from the last hundred years. And I will absolutely admit that there are church environments that are positively dreadful. <laughs> There are some really terrible environments out there. And I've also studied discipleship. And I've studied it enough to know that it doesn't always happen in the context of this. So I'm not ever going to be the pastor that says the church has all the answers. And I don't know that guy's whole story. There's probably some broken roads along the way. But what I do know is that his story is probably not all that different from the 48% of people under the age of 30 who are not affiliated with any faith. 48% of people under the age of 30 have left the faith or never had it. That's a staggering number. And it makes me think about what Jesus said in this passage, that he cuts off every branch that bears no fruit, and that while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And he says, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers, and that such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. Now, hearing that kind of language, it like it kind of stirs that feeling of that that is not the loving Jesus that I am used to hearing about because I feel like he's talking about people and that's not the Jesus I know. But what I want you to hear is that when you when we look at this, it seems like we've mem maybe entered a season of pruning. An intense cleaning out of branches who had lost sight of the vine, and thought that they were the fruit producers, that they were the ones making the goodness in the world. So what I want you to hear in this is that Jesus is saying that if you start thinking that you are the fruit or that you are the maker of the fruit, when we start thinking as the people of God that we are the end product, 
that we ourselves are the fruit for the world, that we will become dried up branches that get cut off from the vine because we aren't the fruit. We are simply a conduit for the vine's nourishment. So the quality of the fruit depends on the branch's connectedness to the vine itself. What Jesus is describing as branches and I am the vine is the necessary interrelationship. And it is characterized by mutuality and indwelling. And it's focused on bearing great growth for the whole world. And I want you to hear that word, bearing. We aren't growing great growth. We are bearing it. We are bearers of this sacred faith. And the fruit that we bear is God's doing and not our own. Our only task is to stay connected to the vine, to stay connected to the source, to Jesus. All the work we do, all the work that the church does, everything we do together, it is nothing if we are not connected to the vine. We can feed hundreds and thousands and millions of people and leave them starving if we are only focused on their physical needs. We can clothe people and leave them shivering if we are not connected to the source. We can visit people and leave them more lonely than we found them if we are not aware that it's coming from the vine and not us. We can do all the things in all the world, solve the world's most immediate needs, but without pointing ourselves and other people to the source, we are just drying up. We're never pointing anybody to anything deeper, to the real source of fruit. It's not us. None of it is. We are simply branches. The fruit is what comes from the vine, not from us. Jesus said, I am the vine. So now for some of you, you may hear those things and you say like, I'm good because I'm connected. I got it. And some of you might be asking like, how do I know if I'm really connected? Like, I think I'm connected, or maybe I don't think I'm connected, but how do I know for sure? And some of you might be asking, I know I'm not connected. Have I been thrown into the fire? Is it too late for me? Is it too late for someone I know who I know isn't connected to the source? So what I want us to hear today is that the good news of a redundant God who shows up for a redundant people is that God always makes a way. Uh, how many of you garden? 
a little bit, a little bit here. Like maybe we start to grow something. Like me, I'll start to grow something. And then as soon as August rolls around, I'm like, it's too hot out there. We're just going to let that die. Um, July was great. Thanks for the fruit. You're on your own from here on out. <laughs> um, so where I, I grew up, and I don't know if you've ever done this, but my dad always had a very large garden in our backyard. And what he would do is, like, he would grow stuff all through the summer, and then, like, the harvest was really at the beginning of fall because it's a late grow season in Oregon. Um, and so fall, you would, like, finish up your harvest and all of that, and then you would pull up all your plants and put it in the garden, and he would wait for them to dry up, and then he would light them on fire, and he would burn them all in the garden, and he would leave the, the burned leaves and the ash sitting in the garden all winter long until it was time for spring and then he would get his tiller and he would come and he would like till it all up so that it would like mix all of that soil and ash together it's called amending the soil we we probably use different things down here to amend the soil than up there but that's one of the things that he used and all the old and the dried up plants that had been turned to ash would offer nutrients to the new growth for spring this is our redundant story. The thing that we say week in and week out that even those who bear the fruit of the vine will be pruned. No matter how faithful we are, we will go through a season of being pruned. We will have seasons where we are cut back, left bare, vulnerable, bringing us ever so much closer to that vine so that when we continue to grow, we thicken and that the produce that comes from that, the fruit that comes from that season can now, you can bear the weight of much heavier fruit because of that pruning season. And then here's the best part of our redundant story that even the dried up, the tossed out, and the burned are offered new life. It is the ash of those burned up stories that bring a unique flavor to that fruit of the vine. It is that ash mixed with the soil that makes it possible to grow new branches. So the story doesn't end when we find ourselves amongst the ash. A redundant God always makes room for a redundant people. And what I'll say is that that is something worth saying week in, week out, over and over again. I'll say it until my last breath. We have a redundant God who shows up for redundant people. And amen to that. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you this morning that you are indeed a redundant God. God, as we come to the table this morning, as we come to a time of communion, where we, we're, we're able to receive this gift from you, God, I just ask that it's nourishment for us, that we're able to connect to you, to our source. And God, as redundant people, I ask that 
that we spend a little time as we receive communion this morning acknowledging where we need to be pruned. Acknowledging what needs to be cut back. Acknowledging maybe when we have disconnected ourselves from the vine, when we've been operating from our own gifts and, and claiming them as our own, our own work, our own creativity, and not tying it back to you. God, let us be bearers of a sacred faith that recognize that you are the source for all goodness, all the things that come into our life. And God, let us be a people who point others towards you when we see that fruit, when we are bearing that fruit for the world. So now, God, as we go into this time of communion, I ask that you pour your Holy Spirit on us who are gathered here today. Unite us as a body. Unite every branch in this room, God that we can do the work that you have called us to do. And God, I ask that you pour your Holy Spirit out on these gifts of bread and wine. Let them be for us the nourishment that our souls need for the work that you have called into this world. In your son's name I pray. Amen. So when you came in,